0: can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 14th of May, 2012. For newcomers, help yourself to the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll see a bunch of listed uh, sites there, and they all carry audios for download. If you find sticking on one, there's got so many folk going to the com site at once, there's other ones to choose from try those. Also, you can find transcripts in English in all of those uh, websites too that I've got listed, and you can also get transcripts or print up in other languages if you go into sent in, EU. And while you're at it too, remember that I don't bring on advertisers as guests or sell products, etc. cetera. I just sell the books at, and on com to do with the agenda. And so this is not a money-making business, but I need cash to just get along month-to-month with month, the bills and everything else. So if you like what you hear, you can always donate or buy the books at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and there's a as well to purchase. And uh, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office, or you can send cash or PayPal. You can uh, Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And straight donations are really, really welcome, because that's sometimes what just gets me through just about. And I try really and go back into the big system that developed a long time ago. Everybody's parents and grandparents lived through to their part of the system without knowing what was going on, to do with world governments and how to get to world governments through wars and the creation of wars. And not only that, too, to bring in a new type of society, basically a very compliant, scientifically run society where you'd be beholding to governments, world government and local authorities or agencies from the world government to do with raising your children and basically categorizing us all in a scientific fashion for future roles in society. This is the, this is the dream of socialism. For an awful long time And it's run by the biggest banks on the planet Because they funded the communist revolution We we in Canada and in the States Fed the Soviets And for an entire time they were in power And now of course It was time in the 90s To simply do away with the the farce of Communism versus capitalism And merge the two together Lenin talks about it, he says The the result will be neither capitalist nor communism And you form something in between And that's where we are today and, of course, religions were ought to be demolished, except one, and and basically that you would be brought up in a humanistic society with experts running you from birth to death. That's, that's, that's a plan, the old, old plan, uh, written about so copiously in uh, books put out by the big boys who even wrote, who are dead now, but wrote the agenda you're living through right now. They, they took part in drafting up the agenda to, to do with culture change, everything that would have to be done to make it all happen. So, there's lots of books out there. Go into the archives at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and find out uh, what they were all talking about a 100 years ago, 50 years ago, uh, and right up to the present time. Because they do love to write their memoirs, all these global uh, participative uh, um, technocrats that that dealt with bringing this world into the system that we're in today. We're really in a form of lawlessness right right now, because no one's following any charter or any Bill of Rights or any constitution of any kind. And it's meant that way. Everything's ignored because this has been a plan, where the richest people on the planet that run your countries, not the politicians, the richest people on the planet who go to the global meetings, they run your countries, they decided a long time ago they'd have to just bypass all old-fashioned nationalistic constitutions, and they have done so very successfully. They even said they'd do that to the Council on Foreign Relations own magazine, and uh, you can get a link to that later. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix Over the weekend I watched an old Bill Cooper film to do, It was a talk he gave uh, in 1991, I think it was And February 29th, uh, uh, but that year And it's astonishing even then what had happened up until 1991 With the big world agenda He understood that what was going on And he's explaining it to a, uh, a crowd in a, a school or somewhere And... Um, of course, they didn't know at that time just how bad it would get, but they had a, a good idea where it was all to go. And uh, if you see these old videos, you should have a, a look at them to see step by step over decades. They simply implement more and more of the global agenda and do away with all pre-existing laws. In fact, they ignore them and uh, and just continue on. People used to ask me too, you know, when's all going to come down now? When's, when's, well, when's the crunch come they forget that uh, it's been happening all their life. It was happening during their parents' lives as well. But in your own life, you've, you've got to live. You've lived through the 9/11 farce, the thing that had to be, you know, to get the agenda through, and uh, it just had to be because it already said they did something on a Pearl Harbor event. To make the people go along with this war they had all planned across the entire Middle East with all the countries they're taking out listed on it, by the way, published at the New American Century Group. actually published it all in the 90s. And it coincided with Israel's same targets because it's taken out in Israel's enemies as well for greater Israel that expands you see. But, um, And that was in the Israeli newspapers. So uh, what I talk about on this particular program is to show you how everything interfaces uh, with what's happening today. And we're living through nothing more or less than a planned agenda with their own set of laws that they make up as they go along. They're all on board this big world globalist gang. And at the very, very top, you have the foundations that are fronts for international bankers who then fund whole armies of non-governmental organizations, which they fly across the world to the Kyoto meetings and all the other meetings to do with signing us all into slavery. And that's what it is, folks. Remember, Lord Burton Russell said uh, the system that will come in will be a scientific tyranny, a scientific tyranny, that scientifically run tyranny, you see, which would be utterly ruthless, he said, Ruthless. And, but he preferred it be a scientific term himself. He was all for it. And it is ruthless, of course. They don't care how many people they have to kill in prison or whatever else they have to do to bring in this global society. The, the sort of society that John Lennon fantasized about this globe, this, a world with no heaven and only sky above you. And it's not even going to be owned by you. The United Nations is owning the sky above you and the seas as well, and the sky above the seas. But um, I wonder if we ever envisaged the fact that we're going into utter, uh, no, <coughs> black-clad goons with machine guns, wearing masks, for goodness sake. Did they envisage that? But those guys never do, you see. It's it's the, the fantasy that gets them, not the reality. Reality is brutal. Brutality is used and changes. H.G. Wells, a big propagandist for the royalty of international affairs, wrote books on it. And he said, an open conspiracy. You should read that too, the open conspiracy. It's all in books. There's no conspiracy. It's open, you see. And he said that uh, millions will die fighting against the new world order, futilely, all in futility. And So these guys have been looking forward to this for an awful long time And that's why 30 odd years ago You saw internal militaries Being built up inside every country Under the guise First of SWAT teams Then multi-jurisdictional task forces That worked with the military And now there's a whole conglomeration Of them all working together It's just astonishing But it's step by step by step Now in a scientific dictatorship Every child is to be monitored From birth to death you see uh, and you're basically pulled in for upgrading or, or whatever it happens to be if you're, if you're not going along the way they have planned and designed you to go along. I've read various articles before about this in other countries, Britain, Scotland's got the same agenda. Here's one here. Every South Australian child will be tracked by the education department. From birth until the age of eight, using a data sharing system to identify children in need and improve their development. Now, what do they mean by improving their development? As right think folk, right think, they, they said a long time ago in various publications that no more, no more would children with the ability to see through this whole scam uh, would uh, get through the school system undetected. They catch them all now at school. Those who have got the ability to understand what's going on, the con's going on, and more importantly, they can uh, converse and, and put it across very well to other people who understand it. They trap them all at school. And of course, they get the boys on Riddlin, who have got those uh, abilities, leadership abilities. And um, this is a war. If you don't understand what's really going on, it's a war. And it'll be longer than eight years of age. Believe me, they, they track you all through your lifetime. Uh, with, with these things, once they're introduced, this will happen in Australia too, and uh, and, and that's the new world order—a scientifically run dictatorship. You see? And Mister Negroponte, who's been involved in uh, old computers for the third world for years, scamming the public, getting big grants and all that, and turning out these trashy uh, cheapo-type computers, I mean, uh, killing out at, at the same time, working with MIT, uh, he's come out and given a lecture at Phoenix University, and it's titled Nationalism is a Disease. Nationalism is a Disease. I'll put that link up tonight for those who want to follow that too. And that's what they teach in universities, to make sure, because at the present youngsters, you know, are already uh, denationalized. Most of them are already. They've been told they're global since they were in kindergarten, and they're ready for this world. But they're not really ready for it because they don't get half the education they get in other countries. Remember, Jack Satali said that, um, that, that the next boat people will be those leaving the U.S. and going abroad for jobs. Well, they've been doing it for quite a few years. The, the creme de la creme and, and the top sciences are moving off to China and other places for work and doing very well. What about the rest of you who are left? Well, that's just too bad. That's what Satali said. And he should know, since he was the top guy at the uh, United Nations, and before that he was the real boss of uh, France. Everybody came to see him and not Mitterrand or the other presidents he worked with. So lawmakers stay largely silent over the Chinese takeover of U.S. bank branches. Total silence. So the lawmakers have been unusually silent about federal regulations, regulators' decision to allow a Chinese bank to take over 13 bank branches in New York, and California, suggesting that they think American banks have much to gain. And it says, Members of both parties usually realize the chance to bash China on everything from government subsidies to the Yan's exchange rate, yet yesterday's decision by the Federal Reserve to certify a Chinese bank acquisition for the first time was met by near-universal silence. Scott Talbot, the head of lobbyists for the Financial Services Roundtable, said that's unsurprising. The U.S. wants China to open up its financial service market. Foreign ownership of Chinese banks is limited to 2 or 25 percent and allowing a Chinese presence in the U.S. as seen as a necessary trade-off. What it boils down to is that there are a ton more potential customers in China for U.S. banks than there are potential customers for the Chinese here. Talbot said, so in the long run, the approval is going to benefit the U.S. In other words, the same private banks have scammed all you and taken all your money and your children's money because, believe me, it's going to take generations to even pretend to pay off the debt that, uh, after all the bailouts. The same banks want to move to China and start plundering the Chinese. That's what it really means. But, you know, they have sovereign areas within the United States. Most folk don't know what they are. Where they can, people can come in. They can fly in. They can they can fly in uh parts and cargo for plants, etc., into the U.S. And where they land is basically a sovereign little mini state. And they've had that them across uh, the U.S. since 1934, I think it was. FDR brought them in. For those who didn't know about it, it's not a new thing. It was brought. This this agenda is very very old, very old. And they can do their own customs, etc. These corporations and so on. Very, very old agenda. Remember what Adam Weishaupt said too, we, we never start a premature revolution. It can take 20 years, 30 years to get all the planning work, 20 years to implement it slowly. That's how they do it. And the slower, the, slower, the better it is. Because folk go along with things never th- until things are normal, and then they, they make a big change. And it's, well, you know, they've been here forever, and well, so what? Japan, you understand all the this hype about overpopulation, which the, the views of the Club of Rome for a long time, and all the enviro movements. Remember all the communists within your own countries moved into the enviro movement and the green movement. They were all told to do it by their commissars for the new system. And of course... Uh Gorbachev also talked about that, too, where he said, well, for, make a, a new religion. He said, "We'll create a new religion for the earth, a, a kind of way uh, based on a form of earth worship, you see. But, of course, the scientists will be the priests over the people, and that's here, too. And he admits himself he's an atheist, but here he is working to create a green religion for for all of you, you know, for those who don't mind being having that done to them. And the reality, too, I've gone through the statistics from United Nations, is they can always hype uh, too many people, too many people, uh, that the populations in the countries they live in are plummeting like a stone and have been for 25, 30 years. And the only reason that they have more people is because mass immigration is the policy. It would sound crazy, you see, if you're all diminishing in populations and, you, and your populations falling like crazy and you and they're still yelling overpopulation it wouldn't sound right you're not seeing the population you're seeing less and less people living in the so they have to bring in masses to make it appear as a worldwide problem that's what they're doing so this one here is Japan will have no children under 15 by 3013 they say because they've been good they've obeyed and had 1.2 children per family back with this and more Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix, talking about Japan in this case, that uh, their, their population is plummeting with the birth rate, too. So they've been very good, just like Britons were really good, too, uh, and they cut their populations, and then they were told, oh, to import millions of people to pay off the national debt. Uh, you can't win, you understand? You know, it's not meant that you win, and there's many other reasons for it, too. There's reasons they want to destroy their British population and societies and culture. That came out with Tony Blair's a right-hand man who came out in the mainstream media and said that. That Tony said, open the door to floodgates and destroy the culture forever. So they can never, ever come back to what it was. So, destroying cultures is part of it too, you understand. Japan's the same thing. They were fairly nationalistic people. They liked them- themselves, thinking that they liked themselves, each other. They'd sell their debt before Fukushima. They sold all their debt to their own population, and that had to stop. You can't have that. You can't get them in debt through foreign guys uh, bringing you down if you if you're selling your bonds to your own people. So bang, they went down, and so now the population is going down. Of course, it's still it was going down before Fukushima, but uh, they're having less and less children. They have a lot less now because of an awful lot of problems with radiation. An awful, terrible, terrible problems with radiation. Really, really sad. Now, I, I love when they get together. The, the, the I call it the economic union. That the European well, it is an economic union, isn't it? It's for the bankers who planned it all, and um, and they've got everybody now as slaves working for them. Uh, and uh, this is about a, a, the EU attempts to float. They can't float even at the euro. It keeps sinking, isn't it? But here they are going to float uh, a Bronze Age boat that they, they constructed. It's paid for by the European Union, and they came from all over Europe to try and make this. All the experts should understand. The maiden voyage of a replica Bronze Age boat made in Kent had to be aborted when it failed to stay afloat. The vessel, which is called boat 1550 BC, immediately began to take on water when it was lowered into Dover Harbour. The boat is half the size of an, of an original uh, Bronze Age boat, which was unearthed in Dover in 1992. A Canterbury Christ University uh, spokesman said it didn't go uh, to plan, so it had a bit of naming ceremony instead that had, the boat was carefully placed in a crane hammock, but it filled up with water straight away. I guess this is like debt in the EU, isn't it? This you know, hands across the sea thing. No one was in the boat during the launch. A team of special archaeologists, some of the guys who tell you that you know this little tooth belonged to a caveman a long time ago, and that, well, they spent more than three months building the vessel on the Roman lawns at Dover Museum. The, the, the bronze age boat replica. 1550 B.C. is a half-size replica of the bronze boat excavated in Dover. University spokesman said they're going to patch it up and try to do this again. It's a bit of a disappointment for them, but they were so behind schedule they could not do their test run. They probably lost it completely if they had. So it says it's in the first uh, of a three-year program of events which Canterbury Christ Church University is helping to coordinate. And it's got all these specialists from all, all over the world and I get funding for, and support from the European Union, who can't flow anything, including their euro. And <laughs> this is quite something here. <laughs> we, you know, it's bad enough when you, you... I may even put that up again tonight about that uh, Department of Defence on on all the, the, the big camps they're going to put people in. Uh, it's from their, the, their own sites and so on. So I'll put, it, I'll put that up again tonight. But here's another thing, too. Um, the Olympic fence in, in England is costing £4,519 4, £4,519 per metre it says the 11 mile 5,000 volt electric fence surrounding the Olympic site is reported as costing £80 million pounds altogether and it says here the cost per metre is, is and it gives you the cost and it gives you the cost per metre, the whole thing, etc. So for those of you who don't work in imperial units, the cost per foot from one foot of it is £1,377. Now that seems excessive to me. The fence, of course, can be circumvented by purchasing a ticket. People don't even realise they're getting taught to go inside fences in the first place. You know, they're so stupid. I'm sorry to say it, folks, you're stupid. Who would go there with gunboats? In the Thames and the whole bit with missiles ready to launch. Where are you going to launch them? In the arena where you're all sitting? Oh, you know, and guys going above you in the helicopters from the military ready to shoot you. The snipers. Now that seems excessive, the fence can be circumvented by purchasing a ticket. Other aspects of Olympic security appear to be ineffective as this test has proven. According to The Sun on Sunday, the worker was able to drive the package through the site of a fake bomb, taking it past the, the velodrome before posing for a photograph with it outside the Olympic Stadium. <laughs> he told the paper he would become concerned after noticing he was only searched by security when he entered the site in the mornings and that he could enter the exit the grounds in his digger during the day without further checks. The full story was run in The Sun newspaper. Of course, the sun is a Murdoch paper, and Murdoch is a uh, Likudist trend of Israel, of course. This article proves it's been possible to, take, to easily circumvent security at the site, and that's possible that someone might have planted something in advance. But the made cost of 36 metres of fence was shown is uh, uh, 16,200, uh, sorry, 16, uh, 162,684 pounds Is that value for money, it says here? But of course, we know what it's all about. See, there's no lack of cash for all these big, grandiose displays. And to train you, too. And after they've used that, they'll they'll simply leave it there for a permanent site to put Brits into, electrified fencing, or they'll move it over somewhere else where they want to round up the public. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network, because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and for many, many, many years we've been experimented on in so many different ways, and the public have no idea about it. Included inoculations and what that does to them, too. You understand, a long time ago, they planned to bring down the IQ levels of the populations to, to basically put in genes of death so that you'd prematurely die because they were almost so terrified that around that all the baby boomers around uh, 50 or 60 years of age, when they reached that age, if they weren't dead already, would uh, come down with all these diseases and cost the government money if they kept living longer. So, and take their pension money. How dare they take their pension money? The government needs that for a new world order, all planned long before, you see. So, there's so many things that they've done to the public who are oblivious to it. Some of them are so severely indoctrinated, they'll never understand. And, pers- and also, their IQ has dropped. You know, this official, I've read this before. Uh, and uh, so they're not the, the best material to work with uh, The ones who are totally affected To bring them up to what's going on And um, people were spraying the skies back in the 60s in Britain I've got some dumb, some good documentaries I'll try and find them tonight And, and link it up with these ones i am put up tonight To show you what happened in England so Some very good ones uh, Taken at the time, good footage but this one, this article here says in 1963, 1964, RAF planes flew in a straight line from Aldborough, Suffolk to downtown Market on the Norfolk-Cambrus uh, border, pumping out a zinc cadmium sulfide at a rate of 2.4 pounds per minute. It was, it's highly carcinogenic for those who don't know it, but what it mentioned too is we're also doing a test with the same stuff by uh, unleashing gas tanks on naval ships off the coast of Norfolk, and it was, and letting the wind blow it inland as well. And it went on for years, actually, not just a, a couple of years, years. It broke out into the press eventually because a US officer designed to, to, uh, see what was happening, to investigate it, and to observe, uh, knowing they were going to try and use this in America, objected when they go back to the States, and that's how it got into the British. Otherwise, the British would never have heard about it themselves. Incomplete data means it's impossible to say exactly how many times the experiment was carried out, but up to 10 sorties were planned, and there is no evidence to suggest that scheduled tests did not go ahead. actually went on for years. Shortly before the test, a government official set up drum impact readers around the city and countryside to catch the fluorescent particles as it landed in Norwich and Norfolk. Later, these drum readers were collected and examined using a torch, with further calculation, it was thought scientists would be able to estimate the concentration of the particles within the air. In the 1990s, documents outlining the tests and how they were carried out were released into the public domain, and widespread concern followed quickly. You understand, Official Secrets to Act, they don't tell you for 30 years. Uh, keen to allay public affairs on the matter, I'm sure they were keen, the government sought a panel of scientists to carry out an independent review. After many months, Professor Lachman... A veterinary expert from Cambridge University was appointed, and soon after, a team of scientists were also chosen. Lachman's team spent some days looking over documents supplied to Porton Down, and Porton Down is the Bacterial Viral Warfare Department in Britain, and came to the conclusion that tests would not have caused any adverse health effects in the area where they were carried out. Soon after this information was issued, Professor Lachman, being a good liar, received a knighthood. In 2000, when Parry, a surgeon at the Norfolk and Norfolk University's Hospital, claimed he was seeing 200 new oesophageal cancer registrations in Norfolk per year, double the national average. And as a little video on the bottom. I'll try and recap uh, in my archive section the, the bigger videos that were done, uh, including the testimonies of the U.S. officials who observed it too and said they were, they were not going to use this in America and they're they 're in bigger depth, they're two hours long, I think, and um, and covers more more data, of course, they never spray you now eh there 's the stuff that's spraying overhead that does not affect you, of course, not at all no. Now we know that everything in the system is rigged there 's nothing real unless you watch television And you know, your, your reality comes from television that 's why you still think there's good cops out there, and you still think there's good soldiers out there, remember Jack's Elal when the top. Uh, basically, um, uh, he, he was a, a man who delved into all philosophies, and he was a terrific philosopher himself. And he came to the conclusion that all, all television shows or, or movies with police and doctors, hospitals, and so on, were, were pure propaganda. Nothing, nothing but propaganda. So that you would never get an idea what they're really all about or what they're really, really like. And when the elite want something to happen, they make it happen and blame the potential enemy, you see. We know that for a fact. I mean, the dust hadn't cleared on the towers in 2001 when Brzezinski and and, and other ones were shouting out, it's, oh, so's Al Qaeda. It's that, oh God, the Al Qaeda bunch. It's it's Osama bin Laden. Then they give you a president called Obama. Obama Osana. Don't you forget? Don't understand how ridiculous this system is? They mock you even with the names they give you. They really mock you. You have no idea how intricate this system is designed. The intricacy is amazing. It's all a form of mind control. So when nothing happens, they always give you another one. And with the farce with the first, with the first uh, diaper bombers who got followed over with no passport or anything, just put on the plane by CIA guys and and of course nothing was going to go off and nothing did go off and the set of stuff was inert. But I got everybody to get groped to the airports which was the whole you must be dehumanized, you people out there more and more and more until you get to be just like people in a prison camp because that's, that's what you do in a prison camp. Utterly demoralize the people. You dehumanize them until they accept their dehumanization and there's nothing you cannot do with them. So, the ex-FBI informant with a change of heart, he says, there's no real hunt, it's fixed, he says. Uh, Greg Montiel describes how he pretended to be a radical Muslim in order to root out potential threats, shining a light on some of the Bureau FBI's most ethically murky, uh, murky practices, it says. It says, it's, uh, it's all about entrapment, says Craig Montiel. He says, uh, He says he did not balk when his FBI handlers gave him the okay to have sex with Muslim women. His undercover operation was targeting, I guess that's truly undercover, nor at the time did he shy away from recording their pillow talk. They said if it would enhance intelligence, go ahead and have sex, so I did. Montiel told The Guardian as he described his year as a confidential FBI informant sent on a mission to infiltrate Southern Californian mosques. And it says, An astonishing admission that goes to the heart of the intelligence surveillance of Muslim communities in America in the years after 9-11, while police and FBI leaders have insisted they are acting to defend America from a terrorist attack, civil liberties groups have insisted they have repeatedly gone too far and treated an entire religious group as suspicious. When was involved in one of the most controversial tactics, the use of confidential informants in so-called entrapment cases. This is when suspects carry out or Plot fake terrorist attacks at their quest or under the close supervision of an FBI undercover operation using secret informants. Often, those informants have serious criminal records, or are supplied with a financial motivation to net suspects. In other words, they're getting blackmailed to go out there and be spies. In the case for the Newborough Four, where four men were convicted for a fake terror attack on Jewish targets in the Bronx a confidential informant offered $250,000, a free holiday, and a car to one suspect for help with the attack. In the case of Fort Dix-5, which involved a fake plan to attack New Jersey military base, one informant's criminal past included attempted murder, while another admitted in court at least two of the suspects later jailed for life had not known of any plot. Such actions have led Muslim civil rights groups to wonder if their communities are being unfairly targeted in a spying game that is rigged against them. mentiel says that is exactly what happens. The way the FBI conducts their operations is all about entrapment. See, entrapment doesn't matter if the guys are, 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 to, are, are innocent. doesn't matter. They, they want them to be guilty. For numbers. See, we caught another three. See, see, you know. He says, I know the game, I know the dynamics of it, it's such a joke, it's a real joke. There is no real hunt, it's fixed, it's all rigged. But Montiel has regrets now about his involvement in a scheme called Operation Flex, sitting in the kitchen of his modest home in Irvine near Los Angeles. Montiel said the FBI should publicly apologize for his fruitless quest to root out Islamic radicals in Orange County, though he does not hold up much hope that that will happen. They don't have the humility to admit a mistake, he said. Mintil's story sounds like something out of a pulp thriller. Under the supervision of two FBI agents, the muscle-bound fitness instructor created a fictitious French-Syrian alter-ego called Farouk Aziz. In this disguise, in 2006, Mentil started hanging around Moss in Orange County, the long stretch of suburbia south of L.A., and pretended to convert to Islam. He was tasked with befriending Muslims and blanket-recording the conversations. All this information was then fed back to the FBI, who told Mintil to act like a radical himself, to lure out Islamist sympathizers. So you you make a person sound like the most radical person of all, and you you draw on people who are a bit weak-minded, or they want to just hear the guy rant on. And then you get involved in a plot, you see, which is is never going to be carried out. It says, yet far from succeeding, until eventually so unnerved Orange County's Muslim community that they got a restraining order against them. He was so radical the Muslims got a restraining order against him. They knew he was up to something. In ironic twist, they also reported Montiel to the FBI, unaware he was in fact working undercover for the agency. Montiel does not look like a spy. He's well built, soft spoken, friendly. He's 49 but looks younger. He lives in a small home in Irvine that blends into suburban sprawl of Southern California. Yet Montiel knows the spying game intimately well. By his own account, he got into undercover work after meeting a group of off-duty cops working out in a gym. Montiel told them he had spent time in prison in Chino, serving time for passing fraudulent checks. He's the ideal they want to recruit, you see. It's a criminal he explains by saying he was traumatized by a nasty divorce. It was time to set up other people and make them take a fall, I guess. They, they can always rationalize it, can't they? Eventually, he was asked to work on counterterrorism and was passed on to two FBI handlers. And they gave them the names of the handlers as well. And how they got into Orange County and how they basically set people up. And how the Muslims had to get a straining order to stop them being so radical and try and get them all into trouble. It had been great news, eh? Great news. All, have, all over the front page. Radical Muslims. And, and, this county, oh my god. And every president would be proud of it. And, uh, then the guys at the TSA was, see, we've got to, we got to undress you. Feinstein, by the way, wants a complete undressing now. Because this latest fake underwear bomber that once again came across with a thing that could never explode, who worked, <laughs> who worked for the CIA. <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah. dear. Tonight I'm also putting up, uh, selling stuff from the General Assembly of the United Nations to do mainly with the laws of the sea. If you, can't, if, you know, if you wonder why you can't get on the seashore now, it's the laws of the sea. Planned 40 years ago, by the way, because I've got all their old documentation here, where they said they would eventually make sure that no one, the general public, but couldn't build or go near uh, the shores of the sea coastal areas. Uh, so I'll put that up tonight. And of course, Homeland Security has taken over that part right for the moment. But the World Army will take care of it in the end. So it's also to do with the laws of sea. The laws of the sea, remember, too, further imprison you because it also talks about leaving the shores, you see. If you don't have the proper authority, you have to go to this world governmental system and beg or give them cash so you can maybe clear the shores of your country. They also own the sky or the space, airspace above the sea. That includes all aircraft, everything. I'll put a few of those up tonight because uh, there's two or three links to, to different uh, articles from the United Nations itself. And uh, it's, it's strange, I've been talking about child child abduction by authorities recently because that's a big agenda too. Bertrand Russell at one time says we, we thought at one time we'd have to, to completely remove all children from their parents because they're all Basically mentally ill, the parents are ill, they've got old-fashioned ideas, they're contaminated, they'd pass on these ideas to their children. Can't have that for a new global order, could you? He said that ages ago, many, many moons ago, long time ago. And that's part of the reason your children's age were given all the cash to start this project on the the go. Big money involved in it too, big money. But it says here, they they, they get lessons, you see, all these agencies that generally uh, uh, employ weirdos. They are weirdos. You understand, you can take any uh, average person and make him a cop. And it's just like the military. What do you do in the military? What's the military for? The military is for killing people. That's what it, its only function is to kill people, folks. Let's have it straight. Forget the movies. Forget the movies. The reality of military is to kill people. Cops are to, to, to they're enforcement agencies. These brute force. They don't sit up all night, like the like the series and dramas and the movies, worrying about some kidnapper. Oh, worry, they can't sleep till they get the bad guy. That's fiction. Jack Zellell said it. It's all you see for, for entertainment with police is fiction. And the same with social services, folks. Once they get them into their own particular form of training, you alter the person's way of thinking. When a guy becomes a cop, he suddenly, he suddenly sees everyone as being suspicious. The day before when he's out boozing with his pals in the street, he's, he's looking warily at the cop, he becomes a cop, and his, whole, his whole training changes his, his psyche totally differently. They're not friendly people. You better believe that. Same with these uh, these agencies that grab children. Here's what they're teaching them. Practical strategies to tackle obstructive behavior and and disguised compliance. This is when they meet the parents in the homes, you see. And so there's a whole, they've got courses out, and I'll put a whole bunch of links up on the courses and how they try to get past parents who have disguised compliance. But they're really hostile, but disguised. And how to get around highly resistant parents, you know. And they give them all these uh, programs and how to deal with it, and training seminars, etc., tool shops. So I'll put up three of those tonight. And along with it, though, from the homeschooling education forums, here's, here's how we fight back. And it's called "Dealing with Highly Intrusive Parasitic Public Servants: Practical Strategies to Tackle Intrusive, Threatening, and Bullying Behavior Disguised as Support." So I'll put that one up too. I'm glad people are fighting back with the same techniques to train them. Sad we have to go this far, isn't it? Now Britain, I can remember the, the red-nosed, heavy boozing Prince Philip, you know, the Queen's uh, hubby, who used to spend weeks in the cellar <laughs> down in Buckingham Palace. I know it for a fact, because uh, an old, uh, not a nanny, but a teacher, a personal teacher to Charles now, when he was a wee boy, uh, eventually lived up quite near where I was and told me all about his boozing bouts down in the cellar and how the butlers eventually would have to go down and find them and drag them up and detox them. But he was a guy who says to Britain, the Brits are lazy, they got to work harder and start competing like the Germans. Back with more on the story after this. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the matrix, talking about the the abuse, or or the abusers really of the system, because the ones who abuse all the public, the ones who crash the banks, the ones who sign deals to amalgamate countries into super Soviet countries, like the Euro is, with a secretive parliament at the top, the the Commission, the European Commission. they're, They're the guys who do all the work. The parliament does nothing except yell at each other. They can't pass bills. They can't even alter bills. So there's no point in having them. So, but anyway, he's, a, he's from a guy who helped do it all and bring it all together. An abuser, you see. He says, there's only one way Britons can drag their country out of recession. According to British Foreign Secretary William Hague, they have to work harder. This is after getting plundered by the banks. And then the leaders committing treason and, and, and signing their sovereignty away into this EU uh, don, non-democratic system run by bankers, and the bankers plundered them over and again, and over again, and then pl- still plundering them, they bail out other countries like Greece and tax them into the ground for dying in the winter because they can't afford fuel. And you got scum like British Secretary uh, William Hague. Hey? Scum, that's what they are. Scum. Guys that belong to the Middle Ages sitting on top of a, a big charger. With these lands and his shiny uh, armor on, scumbags! Tell the public to to you know, drag themselves up, get on your feet, you know, to the peasant. So he's in an interview. He says that Britain's national work ethic has been declining for decades, with people convinced they could live on expanding debt forever. The government has been, rather than having to earn what we spend, like it's all the, it's the people's fault. You see, it's all the people's fault. Britain sank back into the recession last month. They've never been out of recession as long as I've been alive. After the economy shrank again the first quarter, that means it's all rubbish, that this, this stuff. Then he says, there's only one growth strategy. Work hard, he says. He says, of grumbling business leaders, they should be getting on with the task of creating more of those jobs and more of those exports rather than complaining about it. He urge people to get on the plane, go and sell things overseas, go and study overseas. As Jack Satali said, go overseas. This is the guys that cost this electrified fence for, for, for the for this stupid Olympic Games that's surrounded by the military for for millions millions of pounds. It's all your fault, folks. It's your own fault. You know, people have to understand this. Literally, is somebody out the Middle Ages talking down to the peasantry here, like like are scum? And America is going to get its taste of it too. Starting to get it. Every country is. It's a world global agenda. In Australia, they had a $36 million advertising blitz from the government, but it's to do with carbon taxes and how you'll get so much back if you're poor, etc. It's like the value added taxes in Britain and elsewhere in Canada. They says, oh, under a certain amount, we'll give you so much back per year. And they do it for two or three years, then it graduates, do out, everybody forgets about it. <laughs> So, but they, so we put a thirty-six million dollar advertising blitz to see to tell them what they're going to be paying and all the rest of it per household. Yada, yada, yada. But they failed to even mention carbon tax anywhere. Isn't that clever of them? Eh? So, it's, so uh, you understand that they treat us like children, and rightly so if we want to behave like children and, and just go and play and watch nothing but fiction on television. And filth as well to make sure you're totally degraded. You have to change. No one's going to do it for you. And stop looking for leaders. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.